welcome to Speak a Dogcast. My name is David Farb, Animal Behavior Specialist, and I am broadcasting from WOUF Wolf Studios in beautiful Palm City, Florida. Thank you so much for joining me today. And I do apologize this episode got up a little late, but everything going on, uh, you know, kind of barely have internet. We're going to see if this, hopefully I can get this episode uploaded. Uh, our, our modem got knocked out and with the hurricane and everything. And of course, I, I do hope everybody on the West Coast is safe and taking care of each other. And this hurricane has been crazy. It's been moving like a turtle. Uh, it's very slow producing those crazy winds over there. Um, you know, luckily my wife and I are house. Everything is okay. Our property, our animals, um, all of our families in Florida, everybody's okay. Uh, you know, for us, it, it was just a ton of rain more than anything. Ton of rain. We got some bad winds uh, kind of after the fact, which was interesting. We got the rain first. And, you know, there's definitely some flooding going on here, but overall, you know, we're all okay. We have power and we are grateful for that. Don't have internet backup, but that's all right. Um, so, you know, hey, if you can donate to everybody in need, you know, with this hurricane, it's been really crazy, guys. And it's going to, it's, it's, once all is said and done, there's going to be a lot of damage. So um, I do hope everybody's hanging in there. Um, but, you know, we're back here. We're doing the podcast today, trying to get it out this week. And it's kind of, like I said, late loading up this week. Uh, and I know we had no episode last week. So it's just been a little crazy, hasn't it? Been a crazy couple weeks here. So let's get back to the dogs. Let's get back to the training. And let's talk some Speak a Dogcast here. So on today's show, first segment is going to be Who's Training Whom? It's a very common thing we hear, kind of a joke, right? Hey, who's training you? But it's a serious thing. Who, who is training you? I want, I want you guys to be training your dog. So we're going to talk about that. Then we talk about knowing the limits of playtime. Another great segment. Playtime can be one of those things where it's a little tricky. You know, how much is too much? You want to let your dogs have fun. Some dogs play rough. Some dogs don't. Where, where do we go with that? So we'll d- dive into that, of course. Then comes the first pets, followed by the listener Q&A. If you guys have any questions for the listener Q&A, you can email me questions at speakadogcast.com or feel free to message me on social media as well. Now, before we get going with today's show, got to give you that trivia question. And today's question is going to be, what animal sleeps the longest? Yes, what animal sleeps the longest? I will give you the answer to that question somewhere in today's show, so be sure you stick around, sit, stay, and enjoy the podcast. Next on Speaking Dogcast, who's training whom? You know, oftentimes when I do a consultation, I see that the dog has really trained the person, right? Uh, It's the running joke. It's the running gag. We all kind of laugh about it, but it's so true. It's so true. And really it's because people don't understand the essence of a dog brain and training and just basic psychology. That's really why people let their own dogs train them because that is what's happening. I mean, you know, like really kind of when you step back and look at it, that's exactly what's happening. Your dog has actually, I mean, you're conditioning it, right? You're still kind of controlling the variables, But the dog has figured out really quickly, hey, doing this behavior, whatever it might be, most likely undesired, right? Uh, Doing this behavior, doing X gets me Y. Doing this behavior gets me treats, gets me attention, gets me food. And this is where dogs tend to get into like these self-destructive modes is kind of what I call it. You know, it's it's bad behaviors. It's it's self-destructive behaviors, if you will. Uh, and that's that like obsessive barking or possessiveness issues, which you talked about a couple episodes ago. Um, you know, there's all these different ways it can kind of manifest itself. But what really is happening is, you know, look, I've said I've said it before. 
animals, every animal on this planet, I don't care what you are, a dog, a bird, a cat, a person, doesn't matter. Guys, all animals work the same way. It's very simple, especially for a dog. It's very simple. It's like this. You ready? The dog goes, hey, I did this behavior. Did it work for me and get me something? Yes. Okay, cool. I'm going to do that again, right? But let's say it goes the other way. They go, hey, I just did this behavior. Did it get me something? Did it work for me? No, no, it didn't. It didn't, didn't get me anything. As a matter of fact, I don't really like that. I, nah, I don't want to do that again. That's it. That's the essence of training. That's the essence of behavior. That's the essence of conditioning. That's, that's everything right there. Don't make it more complicated than that. Simplify it. It's right. Did I get something out of it? Yes. Then I want to do that again. Reinforcement. Did I get something out of it? No, I didn't really like that. I don't want to do that again. Punishment. Behavior is going to be either increased, reinforced, strengthened, or it's going to be weakened, punished, or decreased, right? Um, so that's what ends up happening with this kind of like this who's training whom situation. And when I walk in, you know, I, I hear it. I hear it. It's it's like they put it out there for me. They, oh, well, Fluffy can Fluffy can only do this on Tuesdays and... <laughs> And has to have this specific treat before 9 a.m. And if he doesn't, he gets very grumpy and he'll come over and let you know. And and so Fluffy, ha we have to do it this way and we have to do it that way. And I have to put the leash on this way and I have to leave the house that way. And I have to have to give him his food this way. Oh, and if you don't mix this one thing over his food, he won't eat. So you have to put this one thing over the food or he won't eat. That's my favorite one, guys. He won't eat. That's my favorite. The dog is not going to starve himself to death. Like. <laughs> They're just not going to do it. I, like, I don't want to, I hate to like call out my grandmother. I mean, um, she's been gone for quite a while, so I think it's okay. Uh, <laughs> no, no, but she gave in to her dog, guys, and it was not good. Okay, look, a quick little nutshell story here. My grandmother, when she very early on, she got her dog as a puppy, and very early on, her puppy refused to eat the dog. It was very early. It was probably the first damn night she had the dog. Like, let's be realistic. I was a little kid. I was five years old. I have no clue, but I knew my grandmother. I, I knew the situation, and the dog didn't want to eat its dog food. Now, I know, I know she fed her dog right before she sits down and would eat dinner, would sit down and eat dinner, right? So the dog sniffs its dog food, sniffs what they're eating, and... Yeah, I know, turned its nose up at the dog food because it was the first night she'd fed it. The first and so in her mind, the dog's not going to eat. It's going to starve himself. And she started feeding the dog people food. That dog, unfortunately, ate nothing but people food its entire life. And it caused health issues down the road. It did. It did. That's why, look, I, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not trying to like wag the finger here. What's in, what's, you know, we can learn from it is what I like. And that's the point, guys. Learn from her mistake and please don't do that to your dog. Your dog is not going to starve themselves. So that's one of the biggest things with the whom, who is tra who's training whom. There you go, right? And then we could also sit here and debate about the who's who and who's training who, who's training whom, which one is it? It's who's training whom, just to clarify uh, <laughs> on the English side of it. Uh, but on the dogs, on the training side of it, on the pet side of it, guys, it should be you training your dog. It shouldn't be the other way around because dogs will make dumb decisions, do you think my grandmother's dog knew any better? Like, hey, if, if I don't eat my dog food, I'm probably going to develop health issues. No, like it's a dog. It can't make that decision on their own. They don't have that, 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 that processing. Hell, even ourselves, how good are we? Are, there's a pack of Oreos. There's a piece of fruit. Which one do you choose? Most people are going to choose the Oreos. Let's be real. Uh, <laughs> that's just what it is. So do you think your dog's going to be any better at that decision? No. So it's important, guys. It's important that you as the human 
set up the boundaries and the rules because not only is it some, you know, it's, it's sure it's behavioral and that's what we talk talk about on this show. But the example of my grandmother's dog is it's also medical. It's also health wise. These are reasons that we don't want to give in to our dogs. We don't want our dogs training us. People wear it as a badge of honor in this country. I don't understand why. I don't find it cute. I'll be, guys, I don't. Look, I've had some clients get very ticked off at me because I don't find what they're telling me adorable. And I'm like, I'm sorry, that's not adorable. Like, you're, your dog's possessive over you and you think it's the cutest thing ever. Like, n- n- no. <laughs> you should know that bringing a professional behavior specialist, a trainer into your home, they're not going to agree with that. And you're going, ow, ow, I'm turning my nose up at you because you don't think it's cute. My dog wants to bite you. <laughs> Crazy crap. Um, but... <laughs> Anyway, so who's training whom here, guys? Who's the dog? I, I joke around with my clients and say, you know, who, who pays the bills here? Like, did, does your dog go out and work and pay the bills? Do they have to make sure the electricity stays on? Do they put food on the table? Are they going to the dog store and buying all these treats and yumminess? No, you guys are. You guys are. So your dog needs to be your dog. I'm not saying treat them poorly, but I'm saying your dog needs to be what they are. <laughs> they're, they're dogs. So who's training whom? You need to be training them. That means rules. That means boundaries. That means discipline. Absolutely. Um, look, I had a client who, who was concerned about uh, using touch corrections with their dogs. You know, if they've got um, a few dogs and big dogs, very big dogs, very strong dogs. And unfortunately, the dogs just at this moment, they don't know their physical boundaries well enough. And so they'll push their physical boundaries onto you. And then, you know, that, that could be a problem, especially if like we have a little kid or someone who's old, that can be an issue. And so their concern was, well, if I, t- you know, if I correct them, is that, you know, aren't they going to like hate me? And we had to have that discussion where no, your dog is actually not going to hate you by providing some natural discipline. Look, that's one thing I love about a touch correction. It's a natural instinctual way for your dog to understand this is an unacceptable behavior. Okay. Uh, touch correction, you know, if you guys haven't listened before, touch correction, I, I like to use three fingers, right? And kind of mimic a little nip, a little nip, nothing crazy, nothing harsh, but a nip, right? Usually uh, on the um, kind of chest side of the neck shoulder, right? not actually on the neck, but to the side of the neck. You don't want to be on the throat, obviously, guys, stay away. <laughs> no, 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 we're not trying to do that. Okay, we're trying to make a little nip, a little, you guys, when you watch dogs and you observe their behavior, it's very obvious that the natural way they correct each other and play and play is play is full of boundaries and rules, isn't it? Among dogs, there's rules and boundaries to play time. If you observe dogs, once again, very clear, very obvious. Uh, and the nip is one of the most common ways they do that. Now you can also use the nip kind of on the side of the hind legs, kind of on the backside there, nice little nip, nothing crazy again. Um, but those little touch corrections are very important. It's a way to help you guide and direct behavior and provide a boundary and show your dog you're not in control here. Okay. You know, I, I, again, if you've listened to me before, you know, I don't harp on alpha and all that kind of stuff. Maybe we need to do a revisiting segment on those, uh, that kind of terminology. Don't we? That kind of speak, if you will, uh, a dog guest, uh, <laughs> but, but for, for lack of a better phrase, yeah, you need to be the leader alpha eh, no leader. Let's just stick with that. You need to be the leader to your dog. 
I don't like alpha. No, that's not. No, uh, <laughs> you've got to give off leadership qualities and you need to be a leader to your dog. And in order to be a leader to your dog, whom, who's training? Whom? You have to train your dog. You have to provide these rules, boundaries, discipline and affection, guys. So people often ask, well, where is that line? Like, well, how do I you know? Look, to some degree, yeah, you get to decide where the rule is, how crazy playtime gets to be inside the house versus outside. Uh, if they're a lot on furniture, how the playtime on furniture. Look, I don't let my dogs play on the furniture, okay? Now, it's something we battle with constantly with new dogs that come in the house that are allowed on the furniture and we have to show them. And you can see like my dogs are like, mm, well, let's play down here. And they almost kind of try to stay off when they're playing. Uh, my guys are really getting good at that and understanding we don't play on the furniture. We can lay on the furniture at school, but we don't play up there. Uh, but that's one of the things, right? I have to go in and tell them, hey, no, off. Now, my dogs know an off command. They know what that means. Dogs that come in here learn an off command. Um, so they learn to get off the furniture. So if I'm consistent with my boundary, hey, off every time they start playing on the furniture, if I'm consistent with that, they start putting two and two together. Oh, you don't like it when I play on the furniture, but when we're off the furniture, we can play all we want. Cool. Okay, we'll just play off the furniture. And I reward that behavior, right? So providing those rules, that structure, those boundaries, that's how you do it. That's how who's training whom, providing that consistent um, uh, uh, consistent amount of information, consistent information, that's I guess what I'm trying to say, uh, providing that consistent information to them on what is acceptable behavior and what is not acceptable behavior, that's how we get a well-trained dog. Look, it's not just about the sit, the lie down, the stay, the drop it, the leave it. Those things are wonderful. Even a good walk is great. Leash work is wonderful. But what happens when you pop up? The majority of the time, you're not walking your dog. What happens when you come home and pop off that leash? What about the majority of the time spent with your dog in the house? It's very important that you take the time to not let them train you in those moments. Those are the moments they take advantage of, right? They come over and demand to be fed, demand playtime. When they don't get playtime, they start pawing you, jumping on you. Those are the moments. Those are the moments that I see the most of who's training whom. Those are the moments when the clients tell me, oh, he has to play at nine o'clock every night. He comes over and he demands it. And if I don't play with him, he'll bark at me. No, guys, that's the time to tell him no. Touch correction. Go lie down. Tap into our commands a little bit. This is where commands can be helpful. It's not going to be the end all be all fixed, but it's going to be helpful. Go lay down on your bed. Lay down. Stay. Good. Okay? They get up again. Redirect. Go lay down. Stay. That boundary, that consistent information coming at them is how we create a well-rounded dog and how we create a dog who doesn't think that they're owning and training us, okay? Look, I, I don't know about you guys, but I, I personally, I don't really love when I go over to people's homes and not, not as a trainer, not in that capacity. <laughs> it's not my favorite thing when I go over to somebody's house and a dog just jumps all over me and won't leave me alone and just, and, and paws me and just barks at me and not my favorite thing in the world. I love dogs, but I don't love out of control dogs. I don't love untrained dogs. I don't know why people do. We think it's adorable. I, I look at a dog that's anxious and, uh, and go, 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 go. And I can't sit still, but I have to be over here. And I have to constantly have a toy in my mouth. To me, that's not healthy. That's not balanced. That doesn't look normal to me. We're led to believe that it is, that the dog should demand everything, should control, should decide this, should decide that. Kind of sounds like children nowadays, but we're not getting into that. 
So you kind of see what I'm saying here, guys. You can't let your dogs control you because it's not healthy and it's not good for them. And for that matter, it's not good for your household. Uh, too many times I walk in where, yeah, we've got personal issues going on. We've got a marriage where I have a husband and a wife just at each other because of a dog. Because there's no boundaries in the home. Maybe one spouse wants to provide those boundaries, the other doesn't. And we don't have consistent information being displayed. And sure enough, who's training whom? There we go. Okay. So if you want your dog to be controlled, if you want your dog to not be demanding, if you want your dog to not decide all these things and not have excuses for, well, my dog must have this at this time and do that at that time. If you would rather not have your dog control your life and rather have your dog be a part of your life. Dogs are amazing like that, guys, because they are malleable animals. They are go with the flow animals. They are creatures that can be your best bud and do whatever you want to do and have the best time doing it. You know what I mean? Like, that's what's so cool about dogs. But you have to train them. You have to create that focus on them wanting to uh, take that leadership from you versus you trying to take it from them. That's an out-of-balance relationship, and that's not what we're looking for. Who's training whom? Boy, I sure hope it's you training them. Are you tired of your dog barking all the time? Or maybe you want them to stop jumping on people when they come over. Or does your dog take you for a walk instead of the other way around? We can help. At The Nature of Training, we are committed to improving the relationships and lives people have with their pets. No matter what behavioral issue you are experiencing, from an unruly puppy to more severe issues, we can help. Offering a wide variety of services such as in-home training, doggy and puppy boot camps, doggy day camps, boarding, and now offering virtual training as well. For more information, check out our website, www.thenatureoftraining.com, or you can find us on Facebook or Instagram at David Paws. Located in beautiful Palm City, Florida, serving all of the Treasure Coast and North Palm Beach County. The Nature of Training, helping you achieve success with your pet. Knowing the limits of playtime. Playtime is one of those things where <laughs> too much of it can be a bad thing. Too little of it can maybe be a bad thing. Uh, probably the too much side more so. <laughs> and it, it's, it's a common question, right? It's one that I get, well, where where's the line with playing? My dog likes to play rough. Where's the line? And look, that is true. Some dogs do play rougher than others, and it's okay to some degree, but it's a fine line. And so we're going to try to kind of talk about those identifiers today, how to find that line, those lines, multiple lines, uh, and how to know where to stop playtime. Now, to me, there are some generalized rules with playtime that I try to adhere to, uh, that I try to stick by. Uh, now, before we kind of dive into it, an interesting thing is there is this one doggy day camp facility in the area and you can actually park in the parking lot and see a lot of their outdoor play areas and I find it fascinating fascinating to sit and watch because what you'll see is mostly all of the bad things <laughs> 
all of the things you don't want to see at playtime, things you don't want to let go at playtime, especially when you're out in a dog yard with multiple dogs, uh, with multiple personalities, multiple different types of behavior. And look, we all know that these facilities, majority of them do temperament tests, and that's wonderful and all. But a temperament test doesn't mean anything if you don't have professionals who know how to monitor behavior. Because even the best behaved dog can have their bad days. Uh, Even the best behaved dog can be put in an unwinnable bad situation. And without having the right professional eyes on that and heading these behaviors off... Uh, leads to bad situations. So that's the first thing we really want to note. Um, you know, when I watch, <laughs> when I watch these, you can't, they're not trainers, they're, they're, they're employees. I don't know what you call them, what their title is, whatever. Um, but when you watch them, it's very clear that it's reactive and not proactive. And to me, that is the biggest way that we can avoid fights, that we can avoid conflict, that we can avoid issues with playtime, whether it be just in your backyard with friends' dogs or at the dog park or at a doggy day camp facility. The best way, the best way to avoid problems is being proactive and not reactive. Because the problem we all know, I mean, come on, guys, you know it. What's the problem with reactive? It's already happened. The issue's already happened. It's already been reinforced potentially, the behavior's already done, and the bad situation is already there. So reactive doesn't get us anything. Reactive only makes the problem worse. You have to be proactive with your dog. If you're going to take your dog to a dog park, um, put the phone down, guys. It's the first thing I got to say. Put put the damn phone down. I'm, I'm so sick of people. I'll be honest. This is I'm going to jump on my soapbox for a second. Here I go. I am so sick and tired of people on their phones when they're out walking their dogs, when they're at a dog park, (laughs) employees at a doggy day camp facility. I'm so tired of seeing people on their damn phones. Put the phone away, guys. You have a responsibility to your dog, to other people's dogs, and it's beyond irresponsible to sit there and be distracted by your phone. So I will jump off the box now, but it has to be said, I'm getting really tired of distracted owners because guys, we could be preventing so many issues if you would just put your phone away, please, like do us all a favor, okay? All right, so, (laughs) that's another thing. That's a lot of their, I'll be honest, you know, when I have doggy day camp days and things like that and uh, I'm doing training, my phone's not really out a lot and I probably don't take as many videos and pictures as I should and part of the reason why is because it's a distraction. It is straight up a distraction and it gets in the way, okay? Uh, If you got certain groups here, that's one thing, but whatever. Anyway, we're not getting more into that. So that's the, but that, that is on, I I can't stress it enough. That's the biggest thing about knowing the limits with playtime. It's being proactive and not reactive. Really, it's that simple. But, But saying, you know, be proactive and not reactive is wonderful and all, but how do you be proactive? What does that look like? Where are the lines in playtime and what are the actual actions we can take to be proactive? Okay, so first and foremost, think back to when you were a kid and you played either with your siblings or your friends and maybe it's not always your best friends you're playing with at school and things would maybe get a little heated and and maybe one kid pushes and the other kid pushes back and it starts off kind of playful, but then it starts heating. And then before you know it, someone gets pretty ticked off and we have a fight or an issue or whatever. Okay. We have a problem. Well, it's no different with the dogs really. Okay. Fights 
fights don't ever just happen in the dog world. It's not just something random. And let me clarify that because I know I don't I don't like I don't like the never ever's. I don't want to say that. Um, majority of the time, <laughs> majority because look, if the dog is guy, there's always the the what ifs of hey maybe there's something wrong with the dog and they snap for no reason because there's something wrong uh, mentally or they have a tumor against them. I mean, come on, there are those what ifs. So I can't say never ever. But look, the vast majority of dog fights, the vast majority of issues come with warnings. They do. The problem is you don't know how to recognize those warnings, and that's the issue. A lot of, when I walk in with to a dog that's got fighting or possessive, it's always that oh, it comes out of nowhere, it came out of nowhere, it came out of nowhere. It didn't come out of nowhere. You just didn't pick up on the subtleties and the signs. That's, that's the truth of it, guys. Okay. So with with playtime being proactive and knowing the lines, it's about getting ahead of it. How do we do that? Okay, couple couple basic rules, and this is how I get ahead of it. I don't like growling grunting and uh, you know a little bit of that was play type sure a little little grunt but straight up uh, uh, straight up growling it's not a good thing guys it goes back to that hey one kid pushes the other one pushes harder growling tends to always escalate always 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 i don't think i've ever seen it where straight up growling doesn't escalate at some point it, it always does so i like silent play or again minimal grunting minimal you know i don't like obsessive barking either okay Quiet play is a wonderful way to be ahead of it because if you hear that growling start and you, hey, redirect them, make them stop playing, okay? If you need to, you get in there, make them stop. Maybe let them settle for 10 or 20 seconds. If they're still trying to get, nope, that's not, I need them to settle. Calm down for a second. Once they settle, we let them go back to playing. If it gets back to that same spot again and they start growling, guess what? Same thing, pull them away, time out, let them settle. It's going to take repetition for your dog to understand what's acceptable and what's not acceptable with playtime, especially with playtime because their brain is going, you know, they're, they're intense, they're in the mode. Uh, so in order to pop them out of that, you, you, you have to literally pop them out of that. And it takes multiple repetitions for them to understand it. Okay. To me, that is the best, one of the, one of the best proactive ways with playtime to avoid conflict is not letting them growl. It seems so simple and simplistic, and I know some people will disagree with me on it. I don't really care. I've seen it over and over. I know what growling leads to, okay? And again, there's a different difference between some grunts and things like that, playful noises versus straight-up growling, okay? I, I can't tell you how many times I've had people come over, whether, you know, with contract or whatever, and they go, you would never know that there's 10 dogs in here right now. Like, you'd never know it. They're, play, they're all playing, and you would never know it sitting outside. I take that as a huge compliment, guys, okay? Because I can have a huge group of dogs in here playing and you wouldn't even know it because they're not barking at each other, not growling at each other. They're just playing amicably. It's wonderful. So to me, that's the biggest way of knowing the limit of playtime. Number one, being proactive. And number two, not allowing growling to happen. And speaking of growling, let's talk about intense play. Now, look, where your line of intense play is, some dogs do play a little rough, like we talked, you know, and that's okay, but you got to know where the line is. Guys, you got to know your dog. Know your dog's behavior, and you have to head it off. Don't wait. Remember, proactive, not reactive. Don't wait for it to get ultra, ultra intense. If you feel like it's starting to get a little intense, that's when you need to get on top of it. Time out. Calm it down. Let them go back to playing once they have calmed down, okay? Um, it's really important. That's really, really, really important. You've got to not let the play intensify to a point that you cannot control it and that it gets out of control. You need to stop it before that point, okay? Um, 
I, when they're in the house, I don't mind a little rough play, but they're not allowed to like go crazy, right? Like they're not allowed to start running around the house and tearing it up and going nuts and pouncing on each other. No, that's for outside. Okay. You want to go run around in circles. We got outside time for that. So again, I stop it before it escalates to that point. When I feel like it's starting to escalate, I I'm proactive and I'm in there. You know, the, the biggest thing is it, it kind of goes back to the other segment today of who's training whom. I mean, it really does. People allow too much crap <laughs> with their dogs. I'll just be honest. They allow too much crap and then they go, why is my dog being crappy? It's like, because you let them. I mean, come on, guys. Playtime starts with you being a proactive dog owner being a responsible dog owner and paying attention, crazy concept, to what your dog is doing, whether it be in your backyard or at the dog park or in your living room, okay? It's very important that you take a proactive role in your dog's training and play. This is especially important if your dog's new. It's one thing if you've been training your dog for two or three years and they know what to do, and sure, let them do their thing. But when we're training, when we're trying to get a message across to our dog and teach them, you have to be proactive and you have to be there and be a part of it. My dogs don't go outside and play without me monitoring it. My, my, old, my old dogs, my old pack, sure, I could let them out there unmonitored. It wasn't a problem because I spent time being proactive, teaching them what was acceptable and what wasn't acceptable. And that way, by, by years into the training, I could let them in the yard. And no worries. Okay. So again, knowing the limits of playtime really comes down to a handful of things. It really does. It's not, you don't need to make this overly complicated. It's pretty simplistic, but it takes first and foremost, being proactive. Put the phones away, guys. If you're at the dog park, the last thing you need to be doing is looking at your phone. I'm sorry. It is. Stop. Would you, would you sit at the playground with your four-year-old and bury your face in the phone? If the answer is yes, oh boy. Uh, I'm sorry, but oh boy. Um, guys, I, I wouldn't go to a playground and bury my face in a phone I, with a four-year-old. I could ne never, not my niece, not my nephew, not my child. If I had one, I would never do it in a million years for so many reasons. And it shouldn't be any different with your dog. I'm not saying a dog is the same as a child. We're not going, but it, you take responsibility. So I'm trying to, like, <laughs> I'm kind of rambling on about, come on. Um, all right. So first and foremost, take that proactive role, put the phone down and be a part of what's going on with your dog. Okay. Make sure you know what's going on. And make sure you're being proactive and not reactive. Don't wait for a problem. Head those problems off. Second thing I want you to take away is I don't like growling. No growling. Okay. Grunting, little bit of noise when we play. Sure. But not straight up growling. Okay. We want to avoid that growling. It always tends to escalate. And it's important that you simmer that down uh, and let them go back to playing. Put them in a timeout, simmer it down. Let them go back to playing. So they start connecting the dots of, oh, you don't want me to growl. You don't want me to intensify. Right. Uh, now, one other kind of side thing I hadn't mentioned is possessive issues. Now, we've done segments on possessive issues. I think there was actually episode, a couple episodes ago uh, on possessiveness issues. So we're not going to dive into that. But look, I will say, if you know your dog has possessive issues with toys, things like that, you got to be careful, guys. You got to be careful with playtime and you need to get yourself uh, with a trainer. Okay, get with a professional and start working out some of those issues because you can't just expect your dog to be thrown in the mix and, 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 and not have an issue. Okay, let's be smart. Put our head on our shoulders and think about this uh, kind of stuff logically. All right, playtime is just that. It can be playtime. It can be fun. But these are dogs. These are dogs, and there are issues that sometimes go along with it if we don't work these things out. So really, when it comes down to it, it's all about taking an active role in your dog's playtime. 
teaching them what's acceptable play, what's not acceptable play, making corrections, putting them in timeouts, calming them down, reinforcing when you like stuff. It's really simple at the end of the day, guys, but it takes more than anything, and I'm just going to say it one more time, taking that proactive role and being there with your dog, showing them what you like, showing them what you don't like. Keep it simple, keep it safe, and have fun playing with your dog. Next on Speak a Dogcast, it's the first pets. Today on The First Pets, we'll be talking about James Garfield. James Garfield was in office from March 1881 to September 1881. Now, Garfield was actually the second shortest presidency in United States history at just 200 days after being assassinated. He was also the second president to be assassinated, the first being Abraham Lincoln. Now, he served nine terms in the House of Representatives before being elected as president, and Garfield did not have many pets while in office. His daughter had a horse. It was a mare named Kit. She used to ride. However, a bad fall led her to not wanting to ride again. Kit still remained at the White House, and it's really unclear if somebody else rode Kit or maybe was used for carriage rides only. Garfield did have a dog, though, a Newfoundland named Vito. (laughs) Nice to see that he had a good sense of humor there. Uh, Now, according to the book First Dogs, American Presidents and Their Best Friends, Garfield wanted to remind the rambunctious Congress of 1881 that he might not sign all of the bills if passed. He declared those bills were essentially a revolution against the Constitution. (laughs) Now, unfortunately, though, President Garfield never had the opportunity to veto any legislation as he only served five months in office before he was assassinated. Now, Vito was a loyal and smart and brave dog, and once there was a barn fire, uh, a barn that caught fire at the White House, and it was actually Vito's barking that alerted people to put the fire out. Now, another time, uh, he had actually held the reins of a valuable horse, if you can believe it, the reins, the ropes, uh, of a valuable horse that had been spooked, and he managed to keep the horse under control until someone arrived to help take over. Uh, Really cool. Now, there was also a story of Garfield befriending a stray dog while he was still serving in Congress. On Inauguration Day, a reporter noticed a dog following the carriage that the president was now riding in, and the reporter asked about the dog. Now, he learned that the president had originally fed the dog after it had followed him home one night, and this turned into a routine for Garfield and the dog. Wouldn't you know it? friendship was born. Now, I love how so many of our presidents had such a deep love for their animals, and of course, especially their dogs. Next on Speak a Dogcast, it's our listener Q&A. First question today comes from Anne from Palm City, Florida. Anne says, I heard you should never go nose to nose with a dog as they will interpret it as a challenge. Is this true? And this is one of those myths that gets put out there. And look, while there might be some truth to it, it's not entirely true. No, I I don't call this one true. Here's the thing. Are there dogs out there that can interpret that as a challenge? Absolutely. Yes, look, I'll say this. I have a generalized rule, and that rule is if I don't know a dog, if I don't know the dog, I'm not going to put my face in that dog's face. Like, I'm just, I don't know you. Uh, Similar to a person, I'm not going to go up and put my face in their face. I might get punched, right? Uh, So it's similar to that, that I'm just, I'm not going to go to an unfamiliar dog and go nose to nose. Okay, I'll say that. 
is that to say you should never, right? There's one of those, oh, you should never do it. No, that, that's, this is why this turns into a myth. This is, why this, isn't a tr- this is why this isn't a true statement, because the word never is there, okay? My own dogs, I go nose to nose with all the time. <laughs> like, I love my dogs. I'm in their faces. We snuggle. Like, they put, they'll bury their face in me when we're laying and down and hanging out. Absolutely. So to sit there and say you should never go nose to nose with a dog as they'll interpret it as a child... That's a, that's absurd. I mean, you know, when you think about it, it's kind of absurd when you say it out loud, because to take that as a certainty is just ridiculous. That that's literally to say that you should never go nose to nose with a dog, because they'll interpret it. To say that is to say that every dog you go nose to nose with is going to interpret you as a fight and bite you in the face. Well, I know for a fact that's not true. So there you go. Um, <laughs> so that's the thing. If it's an unfamiliar dog, I wouldn't trust it. Some dogs do have issues, have spatial issues, right? Um, and if I don't know the dog, I'm sure as hell not going to test that with my face. So <laughs> seems like common sense more to me than anything. Uh, look, it's similar that people will go up to dogs and, and put a, put their flat hand out to a dog to let them sniff that they don't know. Guys, stop doing that. Make a fist. There's nothing wrong with letting a dog smell you, but make a fist and let them smell the top of your fist. And the reason why is if you put a flat palm out and that dog does decide to bite you, they're getting your digits. They're getting your fingers. That's a problem. That, you know, seriously. I mean, I'm not trying to be grim and I'm not going to one of these, you should never, uh, but it's a safer option to not put your fingers out there and to make a fist because the dog is going to smell you the same whether you make a fist or put five fingers out. Uh, You can either choose to give them five fingers potentially to eat or a fist where the top of your hand doesn't have much loose skin. There's not much to grab onto and it reduces the likelihood that you could get hurt if that dog potentially were to view you as a threat. The likelihood of it is minimal, but common sense, guys, why risk it, okay? So, yeah, to, to answer your question with a long story short here, and no, this isn't true in the sense that you should never do it, but it is true in the sense that I wouldn't go putting my face into the face of an unfamiliar dog. <laughs> there you go. Next question. This comes from Annika from Knoxville, Tennessee. Annika says, can dogs pee while they are swimming? This is a great question, Annika. Thank you for sending this one in. I love it. Um, <laughs> can they, uh, you know, your question is, can they pee while they are swimming? Okay, so we can answer this. I'm going to answer this in two different ways because can they physically pee while they're swimming? I am not a veterinarian, but I do not believe so. This is not something I've heavily researched. I'll be, you know, 100% honesty here. <laughs> I haven't thoroughly researched. I should ask my vet about this, actually, the next time I see him. I'm definitely asking him this, uh, and maybe we'll revisit this question. But can they physically do it? I don't think it's possible. Think about a dog, you know, even just a male dog, female dog. When they go pee, they females have to pop and squat, right? It's actually a physical position they take up. And the males, it's no different whether they're lifting a leg or squatting. They take this physical position to pee. Even if your dog has an accident in the house, they still end up taking that physical position to pee. So can they physically pee? In the water, I don't think so, with the exception of maybe a medical issue, uh, you know, uh, affecting their bladder control. That would be the only way I could see it physically happening. Okay, so from that side, I would say physically, no, it's not possible. Uh, From the behavioral side, I would say, why would they want to, right? 
dogs, as we know, they mark. Uh, they, they like to mark on things. Even female dogs like to mark or they want to mark their scent or they want to pee on a certain specific scent, maybe not from the sense of marking. And there's really nothing in the pool to mark on. And for that matter, the pee doesn't stay on something. Look, I've heard stories where a dog gets, I mean, I've seen it. Dog will get out of the water, go pee and get right back in the water. That answers the question. I've had clients say that their dogs will get out and pee on the patio, <laughs> find a towel or something to soak it up. A pool is not going to do that. And their noses tell them that, you know, so it, it kind of goes against their behavioral uh, instinct as far as peeing in the pool versus peeing uh, somewhere in the yard. Now, if a dog is like an ankle deep water, it's a male dog and he just decides to lift the leg like we're in the ocean and it's low tide. And I could argue he's peeing on a scent in the sand because there's so little water there that maybe it's something he smelled before the way, you know, or semantics. Um, <laughs> so let's not go down that road. This could be something I'm sure that seriously, I'm sure could be researched <laughs> and more depth could be, could be brought up to the surface <laughs> to our attention here. Um, but to kind of sum it up in a nutshell, physically, no, I don't think it's possible, but I am going to talk to my veterinarian about this because now I'm, I'm very interested. Uh, again, guys, my, my specialty is the behavioral side, not the medical and physical side as much. So uh, that's the interesting. And then from a behavioral standpoint, no, they, they really wouldn't want to pee in the water. There's no reason to. Uh, and most dogs, as I've seen in my experience, they will get out of the water, relieve themselves, and then go get back in. So there, that answers your question there on can dogs pee while they're swimming. That's going to wrap up the podcast today. Thank you so much for listening in. If you haven't clicked that five-star rating and you love what you're hearing, be sure to stop what you're doing. Do that right now. Find me on social media at Speak a Dogcast. Have a wonderful week. And don't forget, get out there and walk your dog. Oh,